Okie doke, you guys grab your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 1, we're starting a brand new series this morning. We'll be go, uh, engaging this book of the Bible through the summer. It um, is full, it's chock full. This probably may be the most, probably maybe the most, I don't know if you can say those, both those words. This is the most concise uh, six chapters, the most concise letter or book in the New Testament that uh, kind of declares the totality of both the gospel and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're going to dive into this uh, text um, for the summer. So something unique when we do here at New River, when we do a book of the Bible, when we study a book of the Bible, we're going to read the text together. So if you guys would, if you wouldn't mind, stand with me. Grab your Bibles. We want everybody to be able to see it for themselves. Of course, we'll, we'll have it on the screen for you, but we want you to be able to follow along. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray. Ephesians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and in things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to the hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And we'll unpack all of that in about 25 minutes, so no problem. All right, let me pray for us, and then we'll go. Father, I'm just asking right now for supernatural grace to unpack what is one of the most powerful declarations of who we are and our identity in you, and I pray that you would allow us to receive it and walk in it, and that it would wash over us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Okay. There are uh, two kinds of people in this room. And I'm going to need you just to be brave and bold. And you have to vote because you have to be one of these two people. You can't be anything else. Okay. I'm pigeonholing you into one of these two positions. Okay. So there are two kinds of people. There are people that when you go to a restaurant, you're looking for something new and fresh. You're kind of like, hey, I might try this this time, or I've never had this before, or I wonder what this is like. And when you go to that restaurant, you pick something new. Then the 
other kind of people are the people that go to a restaurant and you're like, I know what I like here and I'm getting it every time. Come heck or high water, I'm gonna have this thing on the menu, okay? Ready, set, how many of you are the adventurers and you like to try new things when you go to a, a place, right? A couple of you, few of you, yes, adventurers, okay, good. How many of you are like, I know what I like and I'm getting it every time I go there? Yeah, that's right, it's most people, okay. All right, that's okay, hey, that's, that's good. I'm actually, I wish I, I wanna say I'm more the adventurous guy, but I'm really not. I'm like, I know what I like and that's what I'm gonna have. But either way, here's the deal. Either way, whether you go and you know what you like, you choose uh, because of your perception of what it will mean to you. Meaning, like, I think, like, I know, well, those of you that know your favorite dish, you go, I'm gonna have this because I know it's awesome. They don't ever mess it up. It always tastes like this. I'm good. I feel good about it. I'm gonna choose this dish. And some of you are thinking, well, listen, I think if you put those flavors together with that kind of like protein and then you add some kale or whatever it is that you're looking for. I don't know why I said kale. Nobody orders kale on purpose. But right, uh, but you do kale. And so I'm just kidding. Kale's good. Superfood. So good. Good for you. Good. good go superfood. All right. But you choose it and you go like, I think this is going to be great. But we all the choosing we do is because we think it's going to please us. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And that's the kind of uh, that's typical in most all of life. All of the choosing of the decisions that we make or the, the choices that we make. It's because of something that pleases us. And so th this is what makes this text so upside down, because what we're going to hear and what we're going to see and what we're going to find is that God has chosen you, but it had nothing to do with you. That God has chosen you, you have been picked by him, you have been intricately and intimately and purposefully selected by him. But it wasn't because he looked at you and thought, oh, I think that person's gonna do great. You can be in the family or, oh, you know, they're gonna have a really rough kind of season going through their teenage years. But then, you know, after that, they'll come through, I'm gonna pick that person. There's none of that going on. And what this text is going to say to us is God looked from eternity past and said, that's my guy and that's my girl. They're mine. I want them forever. And God has chosen you. Listen to this. God has chosen you before the world began. You have been picked by him from eternity past. And this is what we'll see before the foundation of the world, what the scripture says is God picked you or chose you, predestined you and chose you. And the, and the question is, of course, why is this so powerful? Why is it so powerful and so meaningful to be chosen for God to say, I am going to love you and treasure you and call you into my family. We're going to unpack all of what this scripture has to say, but I'm doing these things from eternity past. The reason it's so powerful is because to a person in this room and every other human that has ever been created in the image of God, there is one thing deeply that drives humanity, and that is this. We are so hungry to be loved and chosen no matter what. We want to feel loved and valued and chosen no matter what, right? We know the sting. Many of us have experienced the sting of what it feels like to be loved only if we produce. 
You ever been, you ever had a relationship that maybe it was even with your parents? Uh, Many people grow up in situations where you get valued if you do this for me, or if you come through this way, then you can have my acceptance, or if you show up in certain ways in my life, then I'll give value to our relationship, or I'll show value to you only if you come through for me. And that kind of conditional love can not just be disappointing, but can also be destructive. And this is not the kind of relationship that we have in Christ. What he's saying is, my choosing of you has nothing to do with your ability. My choosing of you has to do with, I'm great and wanna give my greatness away to you. This is what we get to say, that I'm gonna choose you and you're mine no matter what. I know all of your ups and downs I know all of the great seasons you're gonna have and all of those ones that are really dark that no one else knows about, but guess what? I choose you, I love you, and I'm for you. It's the most powerful thing we see in all of scripture, and Paul is saying this to the church, this fledgling little church. If you think about this, this is, he's, gonna, he's literally launching the letter this way, and he's looking to this little church, right? So if you think about the church in Ephesus, Paul goes there in like around 52 or to 53 AD. He's there, and he goes there, and Paul is in Ephesus only three years, and he's there. In the first three months he's there, he goes to the synagogue, and he's preaching Christ as the Savior. He is the Messiah that was to come. Three months he's there, before the, uh, the Jews finally say, We're, we've had enough of your drivel. You're out of here. They kick him out of the synagogue. So he immediately takes his disciples and his few followers that he's got, and he goes over to a, one of the philosophers' hall, and they rent it out, and they're just there, and he's continuing to preach the truth of the gospel. He's sharing the good news, and you can imagine they're in this city called Ephesus, which is a hub of all things coming in and out. It's on the western side. It's literally on the western coast of what is now Turkey. So it's this port city. There's people able to come in and out. There's all kinds of religions and philosophies happening. The the temple to Artemis, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world is in Ephesus. This huge temple to this Greek goddess is there. There's all of these thoughts about what it means to live and what it means to have purpose and whether people are real or whether they're, you know, these dual things and all this Greek different stuff going on. There's all these ways of thinking. There's 50 different temples you could worship in and, and, and give your lives to. And there's all these deities and all these ways of thinking. And there's this fledgling little movement. And it's this little church that Paul is writing to eight or nine years later while he's in, he's in prison in Rome. And he's writing this letter to this little church that he, was, he loved on for three years before he had to move on to his next thing. And he's saying, I want you to remember this. You've been chosen. You're not, a, you're not a nothing. You're not like a, just a little side thing that God has to get to every once in a while. Listen, you have been chosen before the foundation of the earth. To which we ask the question, you have to ask, why? Why have you chose me? Why have you picked me? If before I had done any good or before I had done any bad, You came and you picked me. Why? What's the point and what's the purpose? And what we'll see through this text over, and we'll unpack here just a little bit, what we'll see over and over and over again is, here's why I chose you, because. 
you are and have always been a plan and a purpose for me to display my glory through. Meaning the reason that God has chosen you is because he looked at you and said, I'm, you're going to be a vessel for the display of my glory. To which we might go, man, that sounds awesome and kind of intense. And I don't know if I'm totally living up to that. And this is what the Lord would say. Hey, man, the Lord would say, hey, you don't have to worry about whether you're living up to it. I'm going to show my power made perfect in your weakness. And then he's going to, and this is what Paul actually outlines through this text. So that's the question. How does God display his glory in me? Because it might be easy for us to feel like I don't feel like there's a whole lot of glory going on in here. And I don't know if my life always really reflects God's glory very well. And what the Lord says is, no, 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 no. I picked you from before time began because you're my instrument of the declaration of my goodness, no matter what, right? This is it. That's the love that we want. That's the acceptance we want. All of humanity. I don't care if you're atheist. I don't care where you stand politically. What you really want to know is that you're loved beyond a shadow of a doubt, no matter what, right? This is who God is. This is what he's about. And he's going to show you that here's how I'm going to display my glory. Number one, he says, one, God takes orphans and he brings them into the family, right? Verse five, he predestined, he chose us for adoption to himself. I love that. By the way, I just love that description. Adoption to himself. Not just like general, yeah, you can be in the family. No, 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 no. You adopted for himself. Like pulled in for as his, the object of his desire. That this is per, so personal. You need to hear this. If you don't leave with anything else, the choosing of God over you is so powerfully personal. Predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Here it is. To the praise of his glorious grace. Meaning, you've been chosen. He had a plan for you. But all, here's where it's all heading. Because God is going to get glory. God's going to get massive glory. Your life, God's going to get massive glory from your life. One of those great lies that we all have to fight through, right, is that we are alone. Alone in our sin. Alone in in not being accepted, having to do things in order to find value in other people's eyes, right? Where you feel, I don't know if you've ever been in those moments where you feel like maybe no one understands you or no one really knows who you are. And if they really knew who you are, you, they really probably wouldn't accept you. You never ever had those feelings, right? That People wouldn't want it, really don't want anything to do with you. It can come up all the time. And God is scooping in here to say, listen, that is the deepest lie the enemy would try to seed into you because here is the truth. I want you as my son or daughter. I'm picking you. I'm choosing you. I'm pulling you into my Self. It's who I am. It's what I do. I don't leave orphans. I bring people into my family. Not only does God 
do that for orphans, but God takes broken people and he makes them whole. He takes the people that are messy. If you're asking the question, how does God get glory from my life? One, he hasn't left me out. He's totally pulled me in. I am a son. You can literally say, I am a son. I am a daughter of the most high God. Two, God takes messy, broken, sinful, wretched creatures and he totally makes them new. In him, verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood. We were lost, but we've been redeemed. The forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. Here it is again, because God's richly showing his grace, right? Because if one of the great lies we believe is that we're alone and that we have no one who would truly love us, then one of the great temptations is to live constantly in shame. I'm not good enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I've messed up too much. I took a step over here. I went too far off the beaten path. My life hasn't come out in this cookie cutter way that I think it is supposed to. And I literally have never met anyone who thinks that they've got it all together. And there's this temptation to live under this canopy of shame. That my life is not looking the way that I wanted my life to look. And I feel shame over it. I feel like I've gone too far or messed up too much. And God says, in him, you've been redeemed through his blood and totally forgiven. Been, been made totally new. God says, listen, I forgive you, I redeem you, and I restore you. I make you new. And the answer is, well, to what measure? For anyone that would ever have the question, yeah, but could he forgive me for this? He says, here's the measure to which you've been forgiven according to the riches of his grace. How many of you have ever uh, been on a, anybody ever been on a cruise and you've been like out on this, like you're in between ports and you're out in the middle of nowhere and you just, it's just ocean as far as the eye can see. Yeah, anybody experienced that? Okay, or you saw the movie Titanic. I don't know, whatever, just like you get, you can go there, okay? Okay. And just for a moment, you will let actually the reality of what's happening, which is you're essentially on a tiny, uh, you, the cruise liner could be massive, right? They're all like singing and dancing and right, they're bringing you pina coladas or whatever, okay? But, but when you, you just take a moment to look out at the ocean and you just get a little shiver down your spine like it's so vast, it, it, you can't even, you're, you're actually on this tiny little speck if you were to zoom out, right, if you were at it, like you, you were sitting on the moon in front row view of the earth, you're a speck on this little bitty metal boat in the vastness of this ocean. And you feel the weight of that for just two seconds. And I, I actually believe that God created the seas so that we could begin to get just a small inkling of what it means to be enveloped by the riches of the grace of God. It's an ocean that is unending. It has no bottom. 
when you think about what it means to be forgiven according to the riches of the grace of God, what he's actually trying to say is you've not understood the vastness of the riches of the king of God, the king, the king, the, the king of the universe. You've not understood the full, it's an ocean without end. It's unbelievable. And so we'll see God moving and shaping and declaring over us who we are. Not only that, but God gives those with nothing the richest inheritance in all of human history. So he pulls us into his family then he forgives us with an ocean of grace that you and I cannot even fathom. But then beyond that, he gives us, this is again, we're answering the question, how does God show his glory in us? He gives those who have nothing the richest. In him we've obtained what? An inheritance, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again, according to God's design and purpose, he's giving you an inheritance that is unfathomable. You can't even begin. And listen, if you've ever been in a place where you feel like you're just trying to eke it out, just trying to get through maybe just enough dollars to make it, or just enough energy to get through the day, or just enough relational equity to try to keep some semblance of peace in your home, or whatever. If you're just like, you find and feel like you're just trying to eke through life, what Paul wants to say, and by the way, I can't imagine the believers in Ephesus feeling this. The whole world around them is different. And they're trying, like, how are we gonna make it through this moment? And the Lord says, listen, you need to remember something. You've got an inheritance. The riches of the king of the universe are yours forever. You may be in a moment of struggle here in this life, but church, beloved, do not take your eyes off the fact you have it all in the age to come. Every bit of it, every ounce of it. We're so tempted to walk around poor, like we don't, we don't have enough. Out here in Williamson County, we gotta try to keep up with the Joneses and nothing ever seems like it might be good enough. And what God is saying is, listen, I have what's good enough. Trust me and stay with me. I'll provide for your needs. I'll take care of you, right? I see, I know when the two sparrows fall to the ground, I take care of my children. I'm gonna get you through those hard moments. He's not making light of it, but what he's saying is there's an inheritance. Live, un, live out of the inheritance that is yours. See it and take it. And finally, we'll finish with God guarantees, and you guys, our team is just gonna come up so we can finish and just worship the Lord. God guarantees victory for those that have been defeated. You ever felt deflated or like things aren't going the right way? Look, listen to this. Verse three, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed him, were sealed with the promise. Verse 13, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire 
possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here's what he's saying. Not only have I brought you into my family, not only have I overcome all of your brokenness, not only have I given you everything that you'll need, you've got an inheritance, but here's this, I'm giving you my presence and I'm sealing you up and I'm taking you all the way to the end. I don't lose anything. I don't lose, I don't lose one thing. I'm taking you all the way to the end. And sometimes it feels like we might not get there. I don't know if you've ever been like that. I'm, um, I, I started a few weeks ago. I started a uh, couch to 5K running program. It's an app, right? And it is essentially for those of us who have never run, not in shape at all. And you gotta try to be, at, by the end of this program, you get able to run a 5K, which is like something like three, three plus miles, like 3.1 miles, something like that. So I'm like, okay, I gotta do this thing. And I find an app, and the app has a digital virtual trainer. And all the trainer does is basically let you know, okay, now it's time to run, okay, now it's time to walk, right? Because you start off like walking, running, walking, running. But what that, what, you know, and the, so the, the trainer's name is Constance. So Constance is there, all right, in my app. And Constance is like, all right, time to run, okay? And I'm running, and then it's time to walk. And then like when you're, you're there, and then, um, now you're in like the middle of like a five minute where you're having to run and she's like, hey, you can do it. You can get there. Like keep going. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Constance. I'm going, I'm trying, all right? I'm running through, right? You ever had, it's great to have cheerleaders to like, hey, you can get there. You can do this. You can go, right? Let me tell you, Jesus isn't your cheerleader. What Jesus is saying is, he isn't just going, hey, you're going to get there to the end. What he says is, no, I'm pulling you. I'm strapping you on my back and I'm taking you the whole way. I'm filling you and sealing you with the Holy Spirit. Not one person is lost out of my, I love it what, the way Jesus says it in John chapter 10. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You're going to the end. You're going the distance in the Lord. He's taking you all the way. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is too difficult. It might feel like this moment is too difficult for you, but it's not too difficult for the Lord. I'm carrying you all the way to the end. This is what's so critical and important for us to know. And to have you guys stand with me. I'm gonna finish this moment. Just, we're gonna worship. It's so critically important for us to remember who we actually are so that we can actually live out of what God wants us to do. You've got a call on your life. You have destiny in God. You have purpose and plans. You have been called by name from eternity past. Let's step into it. Let's not stay on the outside. Let's fully embrace what the Lord is saying, where he's leading us, where he's taking us. But it first starts with believing God. I'm chosen by you. I've been chosen. You have plans for me. Let's worship.